This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Championship week is upon us for the college football season. Week 15 of the NFL season is upon us. So much to talk about from the past weekend of games. And I'm going to break it down all for you this evening on the NFL draft report going segment by segment as we do for every single episode during the regular season. So let's get right into it. I mean, I think it's somewhat remarkable that we have even gotten this far into both the college football and the NFL season. Obviously, a lot of games have been canceled at times in college football, but I think it's remarkable that we still have gotten as far as we've gotten in this season. Uh, I I think it's been a pleasant surprise for people who enjoy, uh, you know, the draft process and, and stuff like that, you know, and just enjoy the games and watching. You know, it's been, you know, a great pleasure to be able to have that distraction from all the chaos uh, that has surrounded us this year. So so let's get right into it. I want to start off at the quarterback position, you know, talking about some draft eligible prospects. There wasn't a lot, a lot of games postponed and, you know, or canceled this past weekend, but there were some things that stood out. Kyle Trask, 29 of 47, 474 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, you know, Trask is really interesting because you know, I thought he was someone that was on that border round three, round four. And you've seen the the drumbeat steadily all year moving him up in the consideration. But what's really happened is as good as he's been, you know, we've seen Zach Wilson and Mac Jones kind of leapfrog him in terms of, you know, the consensus out there in terms of draft stock. And I get the Zach Wilson one. I think, you know, I think he... What he does on the football field, his ability to win in a variety of ways, his ability to throw from different platforms and, and different releases, you know, his ability to win at all three levels. I, I could understand that, but I, I, I do have a, a little bit of a difficult time understanding why Trask is behind Mac Jones. I, I think Kyle Trask, you know, is right on the same level. If not, I think he's maybe even a little bit more talented than Mac Jones. You know, obviously Trask is playing with some really good receivers in his own right. Uh, but I do think that if he, you know, had the surrounding supporting cast of, of Mac Jones around him, you know, I do think that, you know, he, he would be putting up similar or comparable stat lines as Mac Jones. I don't know. I, I think Kyle Trask's game translates just as good, if not more, than Mac Jones to the NFL level. I'm not sure either of them weren't being first-round picks. I think both of them should be second-round picks. I, I'd be interested to see, you know, where, you know, I know we heard in Mac Jones a lot of first-round buzz, but we haven't seen traditional pocket-passing quarterbacks go, you know, that early, you know, and the ones that have, have, have kind of flopped, whether it's because of that, whether it's because of other things, probably because of other things. I think there was there's a lot to, you know, a lot of stories out there about Josh Rosen and Dwayne Haskins. So I don't want to pigeonhole anybody who's a traditional pocket passing quarterback into, you know, the the category of those two. But I do think, you know, we hear whispers of guys going round one and then not, it doesn't always happen, right? Jared Stidham, 
was getting a lot of round one buzz most of his final college season, even though it was up and down a little bit for him at Auburn. Drew Locke at one point seemed like a lock first round pick. I mean, there was rumors that he could go even as high as six to the Giants for a while, right? And then if not six, 17, and then there were other teams interested and he fell the second round. So I think it'll be interesting to kind of see, but, you know, Trask is someone that I think has shown a lot of improvement this year, you know, a couple mistakes this past week, but, you know, that aside, I think this week's going to be a really interesting game to see him go up, you know, against Alabama in that SEC title game. I think it's going to be a big, big game for Kyle Trask. And if he performs well in this, it could kind of catapult, you know, him even more, you know, and then as he, you know, eventually heads to the draft process, I think this game could be big for Kyle Trask. And if he outproduces and outperforms Mac Jones, I do think it's not impossible to see him leapfrog him in draft stock. You know, I think it's going to be interesting to kind of follow those two throughout, you know, the months leading up to the draft. You know, I mentioned Zach Wilson this past week, 25 of 34, 310 yards and three touchdowns. You know, he continues to look the part, he continues to show his problem-solving ability on the football field. You know, I just think he's he's very good at playing within the structure of the offense, but then also being able to, you know, to buy time in the pocket, to move around laterally. I don't think he's going to be much of a runner at the NFL level, but I think he's going to be a guy that can scramble a little bit in terms of moving around the pocket, moving the launch point, you know, avoiding pressure. So I'm excited about Zach Wilson. I've already gone on record as saying, I don't think he should be taken ahead of Justin Fields. I think the upside of Trey Lance is even higher than, than Zach Wilson, but you know, it sure sounds like Zach Wilson's going top 10. So, you know, so, you know, some teams might be more enamored with him, you know, than even I am in terms of the prospect. If, if that's the, the whispers that are going out there, you know, I think it'll be interesting to follow him. Uh, Non on the field news that I wanted to make note of when we're on the quarterback position is Mackenzie Milton. You know, it's been a while since, you know, we've seen him at UCF, you know, a couple of years ago when UCF was very much in the national title picture. He's transferred to Florida State and as someone that follows the Florida State program very closely, you know, I'm interested to kind of see how this plays out. If he's healthy and back, you know, to the player he was a couple of years ago, I don't think he's going to be a good NFL prospect ever, but he was a really good college player a couple of years ago. So I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see if he could help Florida State turn things around a little bit and maybe, you know, be the bridge to a future, you know, quarterback down the line, you know, with more upside. But Milton might be an intriguing guy that we talk a little bit about here next year as well. If we take this to the running back position, a couple things right about Zamir White, really strong game this week, 12 carries, 126 yards, and one touchdown. I think the thing with Zamir White, I said it all year, is is how does the NFL value him? Because not much in the passing game, not going to be a guy that probably plays all three downs. You know, he is who he is. I think he's a tough physical interior runner who's got some good athleticism for a man his size you know but unless you're you know a real outlier or a physical freak you know your upside is a little bit you know is is a little bit capped so is he a third round guy can he go in that range you know where James Conner went a couple years ago like I don't think he's going round two like a Derrick Henry he's not that kind of player he doesn't have the production so 
I think it'll be interesting to kind of see where Zamir White goes. My guess is he probably ends up going date three. And then, you know, I think he's a guy who could be a part of a committee, you know, a guy who can work in tandem with another back who's more of a space player, more of a pass catcher. And Zamir White could handle, you know, a lot of the early down work, you know, between the tackles, goal line, short yardage. I think that's, you know, the best role probably at the next level for Zamir White. Uh, Alabama, obviously we've talked a lot about Najee Harris. We know he's going to be a top 50 pick this, this past week, two more touchdowns. You know, but Brian Robinson is a guy who has been in the scouting notebook each of the last two years because, you know, Alabama running backs, you know, sometimes you got to dig deep because they go through so many of them, but they're very talented guys. 54 yards and three touchdowns this past week. But Robinson's one of those guys that he has the Alabama pedigree. He's got the size in the frame. Similar to Samir White, he's not going to do much in terms of pass catching or, you know, making people miss in the open field. But he's a strong, tough, physical interior runner. I think he'll probably go somewhere on late day three, but he's a guy that I think the Alabama connection almost alone will get him an opportunity. And he could be one of the things that people talk to Saban and Saban's like, listen, he's always had people. He's always had really good players in front of him. He's a really, he's a really good player in his own right. And I could see Robinson going late on day three and potentially if given an opportunity down the line, be someone that we see have some productivity uh, you know, in the backfield. Next up, uh, I want to talk about the UNC running backs because these are the two guys, you know, I've watched a handful of wide receivers that I got to get in the scouting notebook. I already have their places kind of laid out. Uh, I have the quarterbacks that I'm adding, you know, ready to go. But the running back position kind of was no man's land. You know, most of the year, I didn't really think there was anybody that I felt a strong urge to have to try to get into the scouting notebook. But Michael Carter and Javante Williams, I mean, this past week, and not just this week, this whole year have been productive. But I mean, this week, Michael Carter, 24 carries, 308 yards and two touchdowns. Javante Williams, 23 carries, 236 yards and three touchdowns. I have to do a deeper dive on both of these guys. I've talked about them a little bit. I've watched them. You know, I've watched a lot of UNC games this year, Sam Howell, but I have not done a deep dive just on studying the running backs for the scouting notebook. And I think it's time now. Two guys that really produced this week are are at the top of the list of two guys. I got to do a deeper dive on and get them in the scouting notebook. You know, I've watched, you know, Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. I have all their notes. I just, you know, I, I started to implement you know, they're my scouting notes and film notes into the notebook. I've watched four or five wide receivers that I'm going to get into the scouting notebook. But all year, I kind of struggled in terms of finding running backs that I needed to get into the scouting notebook. I thought I kind of hit on all the relevant ones who, you know, were guys that I thought were going to go in the top four or five rounds with some late rounders in there as well. No, no one really stood out as guys I needed to, I thought, watch right now and get into the scouting notebook. But Michael Carter and Javante Williams at a UNC have changed that a little bit. You know, Michael Carter this past week, 24 carries, 308 yards, and two touchdowns. Javante Williams, 23 carries, 236 yards, and three touchdowns. You know, it's not just this week either. These guys have been producing all year. You know, and, you know, I've watched UNC a lot this year. Sam Howell, the wide receivers, you know, they've been on my radar. And the running backs I've seen be impressive, but I didn't think that, I didn't know if they were going to be guys that were 
highly regarded in terms of draft capital and draft stock. But when Dane Brugler, one of the best in the business, you know, and someone we've had on here multiple times over our years at Saturday to Sunday, you know, when he puts out a tweet saying how impressive these guys are and these guys could be day two picks, I mean, day two is a premium, premium selection for a running back. So if Michael Carter and Javante Williams are possibly being considered as day two picks, I need to watch them deep dive on both of those guys and get them in the scouting notebook, you know, by the end of the month. So those are two guys, you know, that I'm really excited to to dig in a little bit deeper and get a better understanding for their full games and kind of see where they kind of fit in this, you know, draft class at the running back position. Because let's be honest, after Travis Ethan and Najee Harris, it's wide open. This running back class is wide open. Truba Hubbard, you know, officially, you know, opted out of the rest of the year and, and you know, and to get ready for the NFL draft. But, you know, it sounds like Hubbard's stock is really fallen, that he could be now a day three guy, which, you know, brings up the question that I've talked about at times is I don't know why running backs stay. I mean, right now, you know, God bless Najee Harris and Travis Ethian. Let's hope they finish out this year healthy and they still hold on to their first round or top 50 status. But if, if Hubbard comes out last year, he's probably a third round pick. He probably goes, you know, either before Antonio Gibson and Zach Moss or after Antonio Gibson, but before Zach, but before Zach Moss last year, but he's, he's a top 100 pick last year, I think. So, you know, he goes back to school and now I think round four might be where he's destined to go. So running backs, I, I think sometimes, you know, should, you know, get out when the getting out is good and, you know, just take advantage of what their draft stock is. If they're a top 100 pick, you know, and that's what they're hearing their grade is, I don't see a lot of benefit to coming back to school. You know, so this class is wide open for running backs to emerge. So these UNC guys could be it. And then one other name I wanted to bring up is Demetric Felton. We've talked about him out of UCLA. 21 carries, 90 yards this week, five catches, 47 yards, and two touchdowns. Felton is interesting because he's an offensive weapon. You know, I know Pro Football Focus before the year started really liked him. And he's a guy that, you know, NFL teams are looking for these weapons from the offensive side who can do a lot of different things, be that chess piece. Well, Felton is that guy. He can line up in the slot. He can ca- he can run wheel routes out of the backfield. He can, you know, do a lot of different things, be a weapon in the screen game. But then he also could be a space player and a change of pace running back type as well. So Felton is someone who I think you're going to see his stock rise in the pre-draft months that he could surprise people and be a top five or top six running back in this class based on what he offers that guys like Zamir White don't and Master Teague don't and and other players like that, Felton could be an interesting chess piece that a team wants to add to their offense. So Felton's going to be someone that I'm really following closely in the pre-draft months. If we take this to the wide receiver position, you know, sticking with the UNC game, Diami Brown, four catches, 167 yards. Daz Newsom was quiet this week. Brown's going to be interesting because he's put up a, a really good statistical season. It's such a strong wide receiver class that I think a guy like Diami Brown in a normal year might have been a third or fourth round pick, but I wonder if he falls, you know, a lot further than that. And maybe is there late round four or round five, you know, based on how strong this draft class is. So that's going to be interesting. Kadarius Tony and, and Trevon Grimes out of Florida, obviously, 
You know, Trask was really good with 474 yards in terms of offense. Tony, nine catches, 182 yards, and one touchdown. Also, three rushes for 56 yards. I mean, Tony is like the prototype of what NFL teams are looking for now. If you think Brandon Ayuk, if you think Debo Samuel, if you think LaVisca Chenault, you know, that's Kadarius Tony. To me, he's got a build very similar to DJ Moore as well. You know, Tony's going to be a guy that he's another guy that I think he's on the round three, round four border, but with how much teams are looking for that guy who can add versatility to their offense, I could even see Tony going higher than some guys that we have pegged higher than him. Uh, Grimes, I think, is a little bit of a different. I think he's more traditional, regular wide receiver, uh, can play on the outside. I think he's more of a day three guy, but a lot of upside and potential with him as well. If we go over to some USC running back uh, wide receivers, uh, Tyler Vaughn's eight catches, 128 yards, and one touchdowns. You know, what always amazes me is Tyler Vaughn's is his body control and his ball skills. He's He's got a thin frame for a taller uh, but lean wide receiver, but he always wins at the catch point. I think it, it speaks volumes to his his ability to adjust, his body control, his, uh, you know, his intelligence of how to create late space, you know, and use his length to his advantage. You know, Vaughn's someone who's a Dave type guy, uh, but I think he's an intriguing prospect that, again, we see guys round four, round five, round six picks, you know, make some noise at the NFL. I think Vaughn's could be that guy. Uh, his teammate, Amon Ross St. Brown, I think he's pegged, locked in for a day two pick. I think he's one of the more pro-ready wide receivers in this class. Ten catches, 73 yards, and two touchdowns. You know, he's a guy who I know Matt here at Saturday Sunday really is a fan of his game. I think him and Chris Olave, both uh, second-round picks, plug-and-play, good route runners, really smart, intelligent, uh, understanding of route concepts. I think those are two guys that are that are going to make an immediate impact at the next level. And then one guy who really jumped out this week was uh, Jahan Dotson out of TCU, 5'11", 183 yards, eight catches, 108 yards, explosive uh, playmaker. He's somebody that I want to get eyes on and kind of kind of see you know what I think of him as a player, having watched a lot of TCU. So Dotson is someone I want to get more comfortable with his game. See if he's someone that you know is worthy of adding to the scouting notebook. You know, and kind of get a feel for you know maybe what the consensus is on him out there. If he's someone that is in you know a top three, four round type possible uh, draft prospect. Tight end position, the only one I want to bring up this week is Brevin Jordan. Six catches, 140 yards, and one touchdown. I think Brevin Jordan's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. Obviously, Kyle Pitts all year has been discussed. Top 10, top 15 type pick. Pat Fryermuth, the most complete tight end. Uh, probably a late round one, early round two for Fryermuth. But then it's Brevin Jordan. And I think, you know, I think there's a little bit of a teardrop after Pitts and Fryermuth. And then it's Brevin Jordan in his own tier before the next tier. But I think Brevin Jordan is, is, a guy who should be locked in as a round two pick. He offers a lot of athleticism and upside as a pass catching tight end. I don't think he's a guy who should be doing much inline blocking, but I think Jordan, if a team gets him and understands who he is and what he can bring to the table, could be a high impact receiving tight end in the future. So Jordan is somebody, you know, he's, he's had some drop issues in the past. Again, not much of a blocker, but his upside, his athleticism, is something that stands out about him. And I think a team is going to be very intrigued in day two. If we take this to the Debbie slant, where you talk about a couple of underclassmen, don't have a lot of names here. 
Uh, George Pickens out of Georgia, five catches, 126 yards, and two touchdowns. I feel like he's gotten a little bit lost in the shuffle this year. We've talked a lot about Garrett Wilson. We've talked a lot about David Bell. Understandably, two of the top wide receivers in the country as underclassmen. But Pickens is right there with him. I really do think it's a it's a three-horse race in terms of the top underclassmen. If all the juniors declare, I think you're looking at Pickens, Wilson and Bell as potentially the top three wide receivers, you know, going into next year's college football season and then starting to take a look at the 2022 NFL draft. I think Pickens would be very much in the mix. At the quarterback position, uh, Keaton Slovis out of USC, 344 yards, five touchdowns this past week. I already talked about the game Vons and Amon Ross St. Brown had. Slovis was at the helm for that. I think, listen, I think Sam Howell's the top underclassman quarterback prospect, but I don't think Slovis is that far behind. Also, uh, for Georgia, JT Daniels, 16 of 27, 299 yards and three touchdowns. He went hand-in-hand with George Pickens. Uh, JT Daniels is somebody who I think we're going to be talking a lot about next college football season. If I had an opportunity to get him on my Debbie roster now, especially if I'm in like a, a super flex or two-quarterback league, I think I would try to get a hold of JT Daniels uh, now because I think we're going to see him have a really breakout type statistical season next year. If we take this to the tail of the tape, you know, week 16 of the college football season, it's championship week, you know, a couple things that that I'm looking for. Uh, one game that's not a part of the championship games, Purdue, Indiana. I, I want to see the Purdue wide receivers. You know, th- that'll be what I'll be watching closely in that one. Uh, Ole Miss LSU is another game that's not a part of championship weekend, but Jerrion Ely, I've talked about him right there with Brees Hall, uh, Kyron Williams, Isaiah Spiller. You know, those are a couple of the top underclassmen running backs that will be draft eligible next year. Jerrion Ely right there in the mix, maybe as high as number two from that group that I just laid out. So I'll be watching him here closely. And then if we talk about the five big championship games, obviously Oregon, USC, I just talked about Slovis and the USC wide receivers. That is what I'll be watching closest in the Pac-12 championship, in the Big Ten, in the Big 12 championship, Oklahoma versus Iowa State. I'll be watching on the Oklahoma side, Spencer Rattler. He's a guy, one of another one of the top underclassmen quarterback prospects. I think you're going to be hearing a lot about Rattler next year. On the Iowa State side, Brock Purdy, who came into the year is, you know, after the the top three quarterback prospects and before the season started, there was no Zach Wilson on that list. There was no Mac Jones on that list. There was no, you know, Kyle Trask on that list. The guy who was on that list was Brock Purdy. So he's fallen back a little bit. You know, I still think he's an intriguing prospect, probably now day three, but maybe it's around four guy. I think Purdy's an interesting guy. Uh, his ability to play off structure and off script, make plays when, when the play breaks down, he can do some of the same things Zach Wilson does, throw from different arm angles and stuff like that. Uh, but just not at the level that, that Wilson has showed this year. Uh, so I'll be watching Purdy closely. And obviously, Brees Hall mentioned him before, uh, one of the top underclassmen running backs in the country. If we take this to the Big Ten Conference Championship, Northwestern versus Ohio State, for Ohio State, Justin Fields, Garrett Wilson, the running backs, Master Teague, Trey Sermon, you know, Chris Olave, so many guys on that Buckeyes team that you know, are going to be very much in the 2021 NFL draft picture or 2022 NFL draft picture, you know, so I'll be watching those guys closely. Uh, 
the ACC championship, Clemson versus Notre Dame, the rematch, but this time Clemson has, you know, their leader, Trevor Lawrence. I expect Clemson to enact some revenge this week, but I want to see Lawrence. I want to see Etienne. I want to see Amari Rogers on the Notre Dame side. Can Ian Book, you know, lead Notre Dame to another big upset victory? You know, Kyron Williams, uh, Michael Mayer, the, the freshman tight end. Those are the guys I'll be watching closely. Uh, from the Notre Dame side. And then the SEC championship, Alabama versus Florida. You know, again, I talked about it. I think it's a big, big game for Kyle Trask. Can he pull off the upset? Can he outduel Mac Jones? Honestly, I don't think it's out of room of possibility that if he has a great game here, he catapults himself above Mac Jones in the draft consideration. And he's the guy maybe people are talking about as a late round one guy or an early round two guy more than they are, and maybe even catapults over Mac Jones. Can Kadarius Tony continue to have his success he's had this year as such an offensive weapon versus that Alabama defense and Nick Saban scheme? I'll be watching that closely. Obviously, Grimes as well. Can he get down the field vertically and make some big plays for that Gators pass offense? On the Alabama side, you know, big spot here in the SEC title game. How does Mac Jones perform? I expect him to perform well. Uh, obviously, Devonta Smith. I mean, I, Devonta Smith is just absolutely, you know, he was already considered a first-round lock. I think the conversation now is how high does he go in the first round? Is he now the second wide receiver off the board after after Jamar Chase? I don't think it's out of, I don't think it's out of possibility. When the year started, it seemed to be Chase and Bateman. I think both Alabama guys now go ahead of Bateman. I now think the question is how close do Smith and Waddle go to to Chase? I think I wouldn't even be stunned if one of them goes ahead of him. I really wouldn't. I don't want to hear about his frame. He it doesn't hinder him at the collegiate level. I don't think it's going to hinder him. He plays bigger than that size. Uh, you know, Marquise Brown, you saw his size, I think, at times hinder him, even though he had that game-breaking speed. I don't think that hinders Devonta Smith. You see him with his speed. Uh, I mean, you see him at the catch point, winning contested catches, showing the ability, you know, to adjust to the ball, go up and get it. And then his route running is excellent. His hands are excellent. His concepts of routes are excellent. And then the one thing you hear about him is sometimes people don't think he's that fast. Listen, his play speed is great. I don't know what he's going to time. I don't care if it's a four four six. I don't care if it's a four five two. I don't think it's going to be much f- that far away from that. If anything, I, I you know maybe it's even better than we think. But even if it's in that four four eight to four five four range, I don't think that's. I don't think that changes anything for me. I really don't. His his he's a guy who just knows how to get open and it's an explosive playmaker on the football field. So maybe his time speed doesn't come in. I think he probably ends up ends up in the four four somewhere, four four five to four four nine. But even if even if he doesn't, I'm not concerned. But if he does, that's just a box that he's checking uh for some people. But I I I think the question is legitimate now is just how high does Devonta Smith go? Does he push Jamar Chase to be the first wide receiver taken? Uh, does he go ahead of Jalen Waddle? I think these are now all legitimate questions based on the production we've seen from Devonta Smith this year. If we close out the the show, guys, with the NFL rookie report for week 14 of the NFL season, let's start the quarterback position and let's talk about somebody new. Jalen Hurts, you know, 
he came on in relief last week. I talked about him a little bit, but this past week against New Orleans, whose defense has been lights out for the last five or six weeks, he leads the Eagles to a victory, 17 of 30, 167 yards and a touchdown, but 106 yards rushing on 18 carries. You know, it really sparked that offense. I think he's going to start the rest of the year, and now we kind of get to see a little bit of an extended period here of Jalen Hurts and kind of find out if he can be the long-term starter there with the Eagles, and then they find a way to move on from Carson Wentz. I think he's now a very intriguing buy in dynasty leagues. If you can get your hands on him, I wouldn't go crazy because again, if the Eagles, you know, finish out the year poorly, there could be a coaching regime change there. And who's to say new GM, new coach, uh, they look at Jalen hurts as a long-term guy at the quarterback position. So I wouldn't be, over the top aggressive for him, but I would also be willing to check in on his price tag because we know the cheat code is that is running. He's right there. He has it on a level of Lamar Jackson, on a level of Kyler Murray. He doesn't have the same explosion as those guys, but he's a really good runner, really athletic. He's more physical and stronger than those guys. He can run through tackles more than elude tackles. So Jalen Hurts is somebody that I think stock up on him and definitely check in and, and kind of see what his cost is. Uh, Justin Herbert, 36 of 44, 243 yards, two touchdowns, interception. Obviously better than the game against the Patriots. This was against the Falcons, but still didn't look as great as he, he had done for the beginning of his career. Again, it could just be a couple defenses figuring him out a little bit, and he's going to have to adjust, and the coaching in, for the Chargers is very suspect. Uh, but listen, Herbert, we, it, at this point, we understand how great his rookie season's been. I talked about it. I think you can make, I think he should be ahead of Tua on all dynasty rookie rankings for that draft class now. Uh, Burrow versus him, I think is a very interesting debate. I still have Burrow, you know, as a guy that I'd want to buy more because I believe in his natural talent a little bit more, but Herbert's been fantastic this year. It's a, you know, I think you can't go wrong with either of them and Burrow's coming off of the injury. The offensive line is a mess in both places. Both of them have good weapons. You know, I, I think it's very hard picking straws basically between Herbert and Burrow in terms of dynasty rookie rankings. Uh, Tua, 28 of 48, 316 yards, two touchdowns, interception. Battle tough. I watched a lot of that Kansas City-Miami game. And he, he at times, he struggled early in that game. But then he really picked it up down the stretch, almost led them you know, the, to come back there and have a legitimate chance to be in it at the end. He lost a lot of his weapons, and he was still making things happen. It was nice to see him making some anticipatory throws in this game. Uh, not just see it, throw it. I know that was a, a quote that was going on, or, you know, a couple weeks ago. But I think in this game, we saw him, especially to Gusecki, be willing to put it up for Gusecki. He's got to feel comfortable with his receivers that at times this is not college. You're not going to have guys wide open all the time like it was at Alabama with those four wide receivers. He's going to have to trust his playmakers. You know, Parker, you know, who's now injured, Gusecki, you know, I'm sure it'll add you know, to the weaponry uh, before next season as well. But at times he's got to trust those guys. And at sometimes he's got to throw them open. And that's those anticipatory throws, which I know he has in his arsenal. You know, we saw him make anticipatory throws at the collegiate game. Now, yeah, those guys were just so much better athletically that, 
you know, he knew where he could put it in. Those guys would make a break for it, but he didn't only throw to wide open guys. He sometimes put it in spots and anticipated where the receivers were going to be. We need to see more of that at the college game. We saw a little bit of that this weekend. Uh, and I like to see some of the aggressiveness where he was willing to, to let some of his playmakers make a play. He's going to have to continue to do that as well. If we take this to the running back game, uh, the running backs, there was a little bit of a resurgence. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, Jonathan Taylor and Cam Akers break out games this past week. Jonathan Taylor, 20 carries, 150 yards and two touchdowns. Cam Akers, 29 carries, 171 yards. They both chipped in with some catches as well. Just when you start to look at these guys and think maybe they kind of disappointed this year, you know, they bring us right back in with these monster performances. Uh, listen, we know McAvey and the scheme there and the Rams is going to create rushing lanes. If Akers seizes control of that backfield down the stretch here, he's going to be a hot, hot item in the offseason for people trying to get him on their dynasty rosters and then hot commodity next year in redraft leagues. Jonathan Taylor, same thing. If he if he closes out this season you know, with some big production, maybe even in the playoffs we see him, I think he's going to be very much in demand. You know, I think both of these guys, listen, you need a running back. You go aggressively off, make an offer for offering a first-round rookie pick, you know, for these guys. I know last week I thought, you know, if Akers kind of struggled down the stretch, maybe you can get him for two. This, this one game probably ends that narrative. But remember, after Najee Harris and Travis Ethan, there's not much in this draft class. So if those guys are going to go, you know your rookie league's better than anybody. If you know those two running backs are going to go within the top, top two, top three, top four picks in your rookie draft, well, then you get aggressive and you offer pick four, pick five, pick six, pick seven, and you try to go get one of these running backs from last year's rookie class, or I should say last year's draft class, this year's rookie class, whether it's Taylor, whether it's Akers, whether it's you know uh, Swift or Clyde Edwards-Delaire or J.K. Dobbins or Antonio Gibson. Any of those guys are better in a landslide based on who the third running back is going to be in this upcoming draft class. So I would aggressively offer a first round pick for any of those guys. If you need a running back and you can't, and you don't think you're going to have an opportunity to get Najee Harris or Travis Ethian. Again, my one concern about Jonathan Taylor is does he become a little bit Leonard Fournette like where when things are going well, he's going to produce, but if he doesn't score a touchdown, you know, What's going to happen? Is he always going to be, you know, if Naheem Hines is there for a long term, is he always going to be losing work to Naheem Hines? You know, I think we hoped when Taylor was drafted that he was going to be the bell cow. If this year's any indication, that might not be the case. That doesn't mean he can't still be very fantasy viable. It might mean he's more high RB2 with some RB1 weeks mixed in when, when he scores those touchdowns and not consistently an RB1. That's okay, you know. And then Cam Akers, I think. You know, if he's going to get the bell cow of the usage and be and lead that committee, he's got R, he's got high RB two, low RB one potential as well. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, you know, game of the year with the Ravens versus the Browns on Monday Night Football, fifty three yards, one touchdown. I am a little nervous. It's, he's been the guy who I kept saying you want to get him now, and I still recommend it. I want to get J.K. Dobbins stock wherever I can this off season. But we've seen how productive Gus Edwards has been. We've seen how productive Baltimore has used multiple backs. If they continue to have more of an even timeshare next year, and we know what Lamar Jackson does with his legs and rushing touchdowns, 
it is going to cap the ceiling on J.K. Dobbins. I think he's going to be productive. I think he's going to be explosive. But if they have another running back that's getting a a strong amount of work and it's 50-50 or 60-40, I do think it's going to lower J.K. Dobbins' upside and ceiling just a little bit. Wouldn't hinder me from trying to aggressively go buy him. DeAndre Swift, I, I love the – he was my – on talent alone, he was my favorite back in this draft class, followed by J.K. Dobbins. It's going to be interesting to see the coaching and the GM regime change there, who comes in, uh, how they look at Swift. Do they move on from on Johnson? Does it become a one-two committee? You know, And what does that committee look like? But Swift is another guy that he's a guy that with his receiving capabilities, he doesn't need to carry, to get 16 to 20 carries a week. I think he's the type of guy who can survive on 12 to 13 carries a week if he's then getting three to five catches. You know, as long as he's getting 16 to 17 total touches, I think he's got high RB2, low RB1 potential. And then glad that was I do think, as crazy as it sounds, even attached to this offense, there might be more concern for Elaire than any of the other four running backs long term. And we see how much they're willing to throw. And and why aren't you going to throw? You know, pro football focus, you know, they're sometimes too far one way about running backs are are unimportant and teams shouldn't be drafting them high. But you do you do wonder why the Chiefs invested in a running back in round one. Because it's never going to be the focal point of their offense. It's always going to be Mahomes. And I think this year we started to see them how at times they wanted to be more of a run-oriented team, but then they realized you're taking the the ball out of the hands of Patrick Mahomes, who besides this week doesn't really make many mistakes. So Hilaire's really going to have to be a guy, if he really wants to hit that ceiling of be an RB1, be a top five guy, he's going to have to do it probably on a season with that's like 12 to 16 touchdowns. Because they have so many other weapons that, yeah, Elaire's going to be solid in the passing game, but he's not going to be Christian McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara because I just don't think they're going to need to throw to him that many times. And Mahomes doesn't want to check down that much. He wants to push the ball vertically. And then they go away from the run so often because they just are better at picking up chunk plays with the pass game. And then if they're going to have another running back there, well, whether it's next year Damian Williams or it's Darrell Williams again, whether they bring back Le'Veon Bell or they get another guy. If there's two backs involved there and they pass so much and they don't check down a lot, I do think even though he's attached to that offense, there's some level of concern. I have to think about ranking these five running backs and Antonio Gibson moving forward because they've been hesitant to come off of Elaire as the first as the top guy. And I think now I'm, I, I think now I have to open myself up that don't just keep him there because he's attached to that Chiefs offense. In some ways, that could hinder his upside. And I just laid out some of the factors of how that can hinder his upside. So I, I gotta, I gotta do an update on the running backs sometime soon and really put some more thought in it before the end of the season in terms of how I want to kind of rank those guys for the upcoming offseason in terms of, you know, dynasty ranks those six rookie running backs that are all guys that I've already mentioned that I would aggressively offer first-round rookie picks for any of those. Take this to the wide receivers. Uh, KJ Hamler, two catches, 86 yards, and two touchdowns. I think he's a really interesting player. My concern is Cortland Sutton comes back next year. They invested a very high pick in Jerry Judy. Tim Patrick has been solid this year and, and shown. 
unless they are putting up monster passing yardage and they upgrade the quarterback position and it's immediately a success, you watch KJ Hamler and you see big time production. You see flashes of, you know, Tyree Kill and you see flashes of Deshaun Jackson and that big playability. But is there going to be enough volume? Like, you, you know, we see this with Nicole Hardman, right? Like we know Nicole Hardman is got a lot of talent and a lot of upside. And we see him make these big plays here, here at, at times in that chief's offense. And I've been as big a supporter as Nicole Hardman as anyone. I have him in multiple spots in dynasty leagues and I'll probably try to get him again this off season with the hope that Sammy Watkins moves on and Nicole Hardman is more of a full-time player. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Chiefs haven't shown that to be the case, you know, so. But my concern with KJ Hamler is that once Sutton's back and Judy is obviously going to be given every opportunity to reach his potential, Hamler was a very early pick too, but is he third on the pecking order? And then what about Tim Patrick? And then you have Noah Fant there. So listen, I think Hamler's best in the slot. I think their best setup next year is Hamler in the slot, Judy and Corlin Sutton on the outside. You know, Tim Patrick probably is one of the best number four wide receivers in football. Uh, if that's the case, because I do think he's a solid, you know, receiver that can be a serviceable or functional starter. But I just don't know with those other guys there and Noah Fant, is he someone that can be reliable next year in fantasy? It might be tough, but he's a guy that I think I'd want to buy stock in him when he's low, kind of like when I bought on Nicole Hardman when I could and just kind of wait it out because I do love the upside of KJ Hamler. Jalen Rager, someone who I have in a lot of spots. I, I picked him multiple spots over Justin Jefferson. A lot of buyer's remorse there. I got to be honest with you. The level of concern will be high for, for Jalen Rager going into the offseason. And the reason I say that is if Jalen Hurts is going to be the answer, we've seen Lamar Jackson kind of hinder Marquise Brown's upside because the lack of passing volume. I love Jalen Rager when he came out. I thought he was a Brandon Cooks type player. And then when he went to the Eagles, I put him over guys that I liked more in terms of talent. I like Justin Jefferson's talent more. I like T Higgins' talent more, but I put Rager over those guys because I was intrigued by the landing spot. And this is where sometimes you got to be careful with landing spots. And I, I tell myself to, to not let it impact me and my thought process too much. You know, I'm, I have such strong convictions prior to the draft. And then I just think it's very easy to let the draft happen and then make overreactions to where guys go, to depth charts. I understand running backs, you don't want to wait long because it's a position that, as we see with Todd Gurley and, and many other guys, you know, superstar one day, backup type fantasy player the next day. The wide receiver is a little bit different. And I have to stop myself at times and not go too far off of what I think of these guys as players. You know, T Higgins landed up in a great spot with Joe Burrow. You know, who cares? He was behind AJ Green, who now obviously is irrelevant and Higgins has been and played much more than I ever expected him to. You know, same thing with Justin Jefferson. I was concerned that he was a slot player. Adam Thielen was there, you know, obviously that narrative about Justin Jefferson has been proven to be false as he's had one of the most best rookie seasons ever right up there after Randy Moss and Odell Beckham. So I, I took Rager over those two guys in particular who 
I didn't have Rager ahead of those guys in the pre-draft ranks. And now if Jalen Hurts is the quarterback, I think I think it does hurt his value a little bit. So that's somebody that someone's really high on him. I don't think it's crazy to maybe see if you can coop back that first round pick that you spent on Jalen Rager. If somebody still really likes him, late round one, early round two rookie pick, if someone still thinks that highly of him, I think I'd sell. I think I'd sell and 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 take my shot with the next, you know, another wide receiver from this upcoming class because if Hertz is the quarterback, they're going to be very Baltimore like. And I think that means what I thought of Jalen Rager and what I thought he was going to be with Carson Wentz was a high volume number one type receiver in the mold of a Brandon Cooks. I think that changes very much so with uh Hertz as the quarterback there. Uh, not a lot of other things that really stood out this past week in the receivers. It was a pretty ho-hum day. C.D. Lamb, two for 46. T. Higgins, five for 49. Justin Jefferson, four for 39. Chase Claypool, three for 15. Uh, Jerry Judy, two for 42. Talked about all those guys. I think they're all buys. I think they're all buys at the right cost. Uh, if you can get any of those guys for late round one rookie picks or early you know, late round one to, to mid round two, I think they all warrant it. I think they've all shown success already at the, at the NFL level. I think people are a little bit down on Jerry Judy. I think he's going to be okay. I don't think he really meshes well with Drew Locke. And I think Denver is going to look to change the quarterback position possibly this, this off season. The one guy who I, who did have a monster week is Brandon Ayuk. And he's a guy that I liked I liked a lot last year in the pre-draft process. He's another guy on talent alone. I had him ahead of Jalen Rager before the draft. And then I loved the landing spot. I just thought San Francisco, how many receivers can be super fancy viable. There was a little bit of overlap between him and Debo Samuel. But I mean, San Francisco said that he was their number one wide receiver on the board. Whether that's to be believed or not, not sure. But I do believe them that he's the, he fit what Kyle Shanahan wants. He wants guys that he can line up all over the field. He wants he knows who his quarterback is in Jimmy Garoppolo, and he knows you got to have playmakers around Jimmy Garoppolo. You got to get the ball into playmakers' hands in the short to intermediate on jet sweeps, end arounds, any way you can, and then let them use their after the catch ability. Well, Brandon Ayuk was the best in the class, hands down, best in the class yak ability. And we are seeing that this year. And now with Debo Samuel again, hurt, you know, in the first play of the game this past week, Ayuk just was peppered with targets, really good game. He's going to finish out this year, I think, very strongly. He's going to be a guy that I think is getting a lot of hype going into his second season, and rightfully so. So there it is, guys, the NFL Rookie Report for Week 14. Guys, hopefully you enjoyed this show. Again, uh, if you are enjoying the content I'm providing on the podcast, on social media, usually on Saturdays, please get over to the website, ssfootball.com is the quickest and easiest way to get there. Please check out the premium notebooks. For $9.99, you get access to free notebooks. You get the scouting notebook, which has all our scouting and film notes 
broken down into many categories, strengths, functional areas, developmental areas, NFL role, how they win, NFL draft projection, fantasy spin. There's over 80 to 85 guys in it already. Uh, I'm going to be adding more to it. I'm going to be updating the guys that are in there. By the time the draft rolls around, that'll be at least 100 guys in there for sure. I'll separate the draft guys once they declare and guys who decide to go back to school. So it's very easy uh, in terms of the tabs. It very much ends up being an NFL offensive draft guide or offensive skill player draft guide, I should say. You get the rankings notebook, which has all our rankings constantly updated. NFL uh, draft, you know, eligible rankings, our Devi rankings, our dynasty rookie rankings, all of those in there. We'll have our tiered rankings after the draft as well. And then in April, you get the NFL draft projections notebook. It has tabs for every position, offense and defense, their measurements, their testing numbers, uh, a quick snapshot of their strengths, how they win, a couple developmental or concerning areas. So you get a quick snapshot of the player. But the key is they are ranked in an order in which I project them to get drafted from everything I am hearing from all the great experts out there. Not my rankings. That's in the scaling notebook and the rankings notebook. The draft projections notebook is projecting the draft based on everything I'm hearing. And we've had tremendous success doing that over the last couple of years here at Saturday, Sunday. There's a tab for projecting the 32 players to get picked on round one and some guys that just missed the cut. Same thing for the top three rounds, which is about the top 100. And then my guests are projecting every single pick in the NFL draft. We've had really good success anywhere from 200 and five to like 215 uh, selections correct, which is a really strong number considering how hard, you know, those late round picks are uh, to kind of, to kind of narrow down uh, from a wide, wide vast of of players to try to get those sixth and seventh round guys. Uh, You know, the fact that, you know, we're only missing sometimes about, you know, 40 to 50 guys, sometimes even less, I think is, is a testament to the work we're doing here at Saturday to Sunday. So please consider it. If you've purchased it in the past, please consider getting it again. And if you haven't and you've been a longtime listener, please help us out. Uh, It really is the livelihood of of us being able to do what we continue to do here. So we need all the support we can get. If you can't purchase the notebooks, please get over to wherever you listen to the podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. We'll greatly appreciate that as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, Enjoy the football this upcoming weekend, and I look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.